sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. One of the really hot spots globally for religious oppression and persecution is not really a new story, but it's a very important one, and it comes out of India and the treatment by a Hindu nationalist government of the Muslim community there. Our guest today, Ajit Sahi, is a journalist based in Washington, D.C., who's been covering this story. Ajit, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So, you know, here at Freedom's Ring, we're quite concerned about the plight of religious minorities of all faiths. And certainly, you know, the whole split between India and Pakistan was in part religiously based, Pakistan becoming predominantly Muslim and India predominantly Hindu. And yet there's a very large Muslim community in India, is there not? Yes, there is, in fact. Uh, the only thing is that while Pakistan did choose to become a predominantly Muslim country, India was not interested in becoming a country built on Delhi's line. So the founding fathers of India, even though both India and Pakistan were created at the stroke of midnight on the same day, that is the 15th of August, or the midnight between 14th and 15th of August 1947, India deliberately chose to be a secular democratic republic with absolute, you know, with total commitment to pluralism, secularism, multiculturalism. And for, for well nigh 60 years, India has practiced that secularism. But that secularism, that pluralism is now under threat because a 100-year-old organization, 95 years old actually, which is committed to converting India into a Hindu-majority country with not equal rights for the non-Hindus in India. And that organization now has its members in political power in India. The Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, comes from that organization. They are dogmatic, they are racist, they are xenophobic people. They're Islamophobic people, and they want to rid India of its Muslims and Christians. And that is the crisis that India faces today. So, what is the size of the Muslim population in India? India, as we know, is the world's second most populated country after China. We had, at the last census in 2010, we had uh, 1.3 billion people. It is believed that since then we have moved on to 1.4 billion there is a census that's due this year, and that also is part of the ongoing problem in India. So uh, 1.4 billion people, and we are looking at something like 14% of India's population as being uh, Muslims. So that would make almost 200 million of Indians are Muslims. Hindus are 80%. I am a Hindu, but I absolutely oppose, and there are millions like me who oppose the idea of a non-pluralist, of a Hindu-denominated polity and country. So we have about a little over a billion Hindus in India and about 200 million Muslims. For every five Hindus in India, there's one Muslim. That's the kind of ratio. And, uh, you know, it's not really the subject of this discussion, but the Christian community is much smaller than either the Hindu or Muslim community in India, right? 
Well, the Christians are said to be about 3% of India's population. So you can do the math, and that makes about 40 million Christians. Now, that's not a small number. That's a no, pretty large not. number. <laughs> yes. Okay. It's much more than the population of Australia, right? So you know, we are looking at some 40 million Christians, but of course, they are a tiny minority because India is 1.4 billion people, and they are spread across the country. And let me also tell you that, you know, the Christians as much the target of these xenophobic, racist, bigoted people as the Muslims are. Right now, tactically and strategically, they're focusing on Muslims, but they have also been carrying out a low-grade but sustained campaign of violence against Muslims, against Christians across India for decades, including yesterday, right. the day before, the day before, the last week, the last month. It's an ongoing thing. They attack churches, we, they attack pastors, they attack congregants, they attack prayers, they attack Sunday masses, that's a regular thing. We have done some shows in the past about attacks, Christian pastors being killed, churches burned, etc. in India. So this, this has been an ongoing story, maybe less so as far as our coverage of the persecution or oppression of Muslims in India. So recently when we first started decided to do this story, it was because of news reports of protests, I think, against efforts to, you know, by the Hindu nationalist government. Um, tell us about the protests, and then I guess they've come to a halt in light of the threat of the coronavirus. The coronavirus has clearly created an unprecedented situation across the world, and India is no different. Um, yesterday, India went into a national lockdown that is more than 1.3 billion people are under a lockdown. Uh, so naturally, the protests have also been called off. There is a pause in the protests. The protests started in the second week of December. So that happened uh, about um, almost four months ago. Uh, three and a half months ago, they started. the protests started because India's parliament, it legislated a law a citizenship law that for the first time since India became a free country in 1947, uh, this law for the first time discriminates against immigrants wanting to gain citizenship, who apply for Indian citizenship, discriminates against them on the basis of religion. The, the amendment of the law, there was, of course, there was always a citizenship law, but the amendment of this law that was uh, made in, in December clearly omits Muslims, it says that uh, migrants, uh, who immigrants who are Hindus and Sikhs and Christians and Parsis and Jains and other communities from three neighboring countries of Pakistan, Afghanistan and Bangladesh, they will get expedited citizenship. Now, this in itself seems like very nicely done, very altruistic, but the truth is that the real intent of this government becomes clear from another initiative, which is a national headcount. The government has been using two different terms for it. One is called National Register for Citizens. The other is called National Population Register. Now, the, what the government plans to do with the National Population Register, which it had, in fact, uh, issued orders to start from 1st of April, but those have also been put on hold because of the coronavirus, what the government wants to do with the National Population Register that is that it will send out bureaucrats and go and ask people, okay, uh, show us your birth certificate, show us your parents' birth certificate, 
you have to prove that you have you were born in India or your parents were born in India before X date. Now, if anybody who is not able to furnish their birth certificate, and if the bureaucrat decides that this person looks suspicious, they can they can question the citizenship, the very citizenship of that individual. Now, this is a country that has not had, that still has millions of births which are carried out at home, not at hospitals. There are no birth certificates for most people, you know. So I'm 54 years old. I am a bona fide Indian citizen. I do not have a birth certificate because I was born at home. For them, you will find millions of Indians who don't have birth certificates. Now, how does this function in conjunction with the Citizenship Amendment Act? So this has, we have heard this from Mr. Modi's ministers, top ministers for the last more than a year. They have been publicly saying that the non-Muslims, the Hindus, the Christians, they don't need to worry because even if they are found to be without the adequate documents, which is basically the birth certificate, they will be given citizenship once again under the Citizenship Amendment Law, which basically means that the citizenship law that has been amended to expedite citizenship for non-Muslims, that will come into play. And anybody who is not able to follow, so if I am a Hindu, I am living in India, I don't have a birth certificate, the government comes to me and I say, sorry, I don't have a birth certificate. They will say, don't you worry. We have amended this law and we will therefore consider you an immigrant from one of these neighboring countries. And let's take, here is your new citizenship state, your certificate, and you're all good now. But the Muslims will. Right. Now, this is... Yeah, I see where you're going with this, because if I understood your explanation, the expedited citizenship for immigrants was for immigrants of virtually any other religion except Muslims. And so they're not going to treat Muslims without a birth certificate as though they are immigrants entitled to expedited citizenship because they're Muslim. Absolutely. So this is actually a con job. The government is never interested in resettling minorities from Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. That is not its intent. Its intent only is to use this. This is a slate of hands. The intent is to use the twin, the two tools. One is of the citizenship law, the amended one, and the other is the national headcount. To, so that it can start declaring the millions mm-hmm. upon millions of Muslims as basically as foreigners because they don't have adequate documents. The government of India has already been building detention centers. It has been sending Muslims to those detention centers. There are Hindus who have gone there too. In fact, this project has already started. It started in one state in India. India has 28 states. One of them in the northeast is called Assam. And the state of Assam in uh, northeast, it has had a lingering problem of uh, Muslim immigrants. And this is true because when Bangladesh was formed, there were massive internal violence in what was then called East Pakistan and later became Bangladesh. There was massive outflux of, um, you know, uh, Bangladeshi people who were fleeing civil war and they came into India. So there's been a, mm-hmm. for decades, there's been a campaign to send them back. And uh, the Hindu nationalists rode on that sentiment. But when they actually carried out a national headcount last year in 2019, to their shock, they found that of the two million people who were found to be without adequate documents, one and a half million were Hindus and only half a million were Muslims. So this really upset their plans. They had not imagined that they will come across Hindus without documents. 
That is when they conceived of this idea and they started telling people in Assam, the Hindus in Assam, that don't you worry, even if you don't have documents, we are going to amend the citizenship law and therefore we are going to make you whole again. That was the plan. And then they said, so why not use this whole thing for the rest of the country? But the Muslims were smart. So in December, when this law was enacted, massive protests by hundreds of thousands of people broke out spontaneously across India. And the government of Mr. Modi has used enormous brutal force over the last three months. It has deployed the police to attack these protesters, peaceful protesters, to shoot at them. In one single day, 16 Muslim protesters were shot dead by the police. If this was happening in Hong Kong, American politicians would be up in arms. But sadly and most frustratingly, America has been silent because America sees India as a great partner in its fight against China. And that exposes a lot of double standards of the American politics and of the American government. And now, you know, you remind me, yes, I guess I did see this story, but it's so easy. There's so much noise, so much information coming at us. And uh, it is tragic that Americans are ignoring this kind of late political violence. I mean, just opening fire and killing citizens, protesting, that's completely outrageous. And of course, now with the coronavirus, it has a chilling effect on political protests, on any kind of organizing or gathering in person. And of course, it is important to practice social distancing and, and not spread the virus. But it seems like one of the consequences of our fighting the virus, you know, political and uh, to hinder opposition to religious oppression. We've gone too long already. Our guest, Ajit Sahi, is a journalist based in Washington, D.C. We've been talking about developments in a Hindu nationalist government in India and uh, efforts to oppress the Muslim minority there. Mr. Sahi, thank you very much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Thank you for having me. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, keep freedom ringing, friends.